This podcast is a presentation of Gateway Fellowship, Paulsville, Washington. Experience community, find hope. Check us out at gatewayfellowship.com. That is so good to see you today. And how many, like the shift in weather, is that's okay with you? The, yeah, the cold <laughs> sun, it's okay with you? Not at all. Not at all. I'm right there with you. Like, like we like the warm just yes, a little bit better, yes, right? Yes, indeed. So, Anyway, but so glad that you're here. You know, for um, these couple weeks, um, we're talking about worship, worthy, worthy to be worshiped. And uh, um, next week is going to be a special week for us because we're going to be gathering in corporate worship and in more, more of an extensive way. So we'll be sharing communion together. Um, we'll be um, coming to the altars for prayer. It's going to be just a great week next, next Sunday. So... Hope, hope that you can join us in both services. So online, um, welcome to you as well. And um, as, as we gather and worship, I know that you're doing the, the same thing. And I'm glad that you are able to join us today. So it's, it's good to talk about terms, right? Absolutely, and, it and, is. And, it's important. And, yeah, so what are we talking about? Mm-hmm. It, it's important because like, uh, unless we're on the same, um, same understanding, same plane there, you could be talking about one thing. I'll be talking about another thing. Just talk right past each other. And we talk other. right past each other. So what's it mean to be worthy to be worshipped? And this morning, we're going to focus on a theology of worship. So, um, but before we kind of define a theology of worship, it's good to define some terms. Because Absolutely. do you know that terms, like the meaning of words, change? Like, does that frustrate you? It's like you're saying one thing, and you meant to say one thing. Right. But it actually turned out to be something else. So we got some terms for you that have changed over time. Okay, um, the first one, <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. So the first one is the word nice, nice. Do you know that nice used to mean silly and foolish and simple? And you know, now it's a compliment because you, when you came in, he's like, you look nice today. Right, yeah. I don't say like, you look nice. silly today. No, not at all, you weren't right. saying that. Yeah, so anyway, that's, that's changed, a yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then there's the word silly. Yeah. Um, the earliest uses of it referred to something as worthy or blessed. Yes, totally. So have you ever heard that? Well, that's We did silly. our research. <laughs> silly, right? Something you're blessed. Okay. How about like, you look awful today. Like, oh, I would feel so bad if you heard that yeah, now. Yeah, but it's, that's not what, yeah. So originally what? Awful. It, well, awful back then used to mean, wor- well, as you can kind of pick the word together, worthy of awe. Yeah, worthy of awe. So that would so, be like another awful. kind of... Compliment. Okay, now how about this one? I, I think you get this one like, you look sick today, bro. <laughs> <laughs> you uh, look sick. Thank you, you know? maybe. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, yeah, yeah, so sick, like, we actually had people calling in sick today. People were, you know, couldn't part, because like they were sick, like they're in bed. Yeah, uh-huh. puking get like sick. But, but now mm-hmm. you look sick. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, that means yeah. like you look really, really good. Absolutely. Like, you look amazing, right? So you all look sick today. <laughs> That's and then, and then uh, so, uh, and it got some new ones that maybe you know about. And then, you know, at, at uh, 1030, the youth will be way up there. They're going to be really engaged in this part. Um, do you know what, it, like, that's cap. You know that? Huh? Or you have a teenager. You work with teenagers. Darcy, we're doing the teaching here, okay? <laughs> I'm just kidding you. I'm just kidding she you. Knows. You work with teenagers. You, when you say, like, that's cap, you know mm-hmm. what that means? Yeah. yeah. 
Like, not true. Yeah, not true. That's mm -hmm. a lie. Mm -hmm. So, like, okay, um, you look good today. That's cap. You can't say that. No, I, you know, that won't work. How about that this? Okay. How about this? The Seahawks um, are good. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, that, uh, that's cap. That means that's a lie. Okay, how about this one? Um, um, T. I had never heard of this one. I yeah, hang out with. That was new I mean, for you. I have yeah. a student. I yeah, didn't yeah. know this one. So um, if a, if someone says that's tea, you know what that means? Talk to me. What does it that's mean? That's gossip. Hmm. So spill the tea. Share the gossip. There you go. I thought maybe like you were brewing in something. Share the. Know. So anyway, team. Okay. So mm -hmm. all right. Okay. Last one. <laughs> um, you're the goat. <laughs> you're the goat. Well, thank you very much. That means you're the greatest of all time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're the goat. I hear that one in sports every once in a while. Yeah, and I think if you like, that's goated. Yeah, that, that now has become a way to use it differently. When something that's goated. Is, it's goated. Like, mostly we think, like, that's a goat. That's what I thought yeah, at no, first. You're the, so you're the goatest. <laughs> you're goated. You're goated. Yeah, you know? all right. And then, then I, I did hear one, one, one last one. Um, like, girls say less. <laughs> this is a bonus. Okay. Yeah, we, what, so say less. So you know what that means? No, what does it mean? Like, don't have to convince me anymore. Just say less. Gotcha. Done. Okay. All right. Anyway, so there you go. Now you're smarter people. Now you're smarter people. Yeah, there you go right yeah. there. Give yourself mm. a hand because it's true. Okay, yeah. So, all right. So we're talking about a theology of worship. So when we're talking about a theology of worship, it's really important for us to understand what that means in, in all of our life. So a theology is made of two words, right? Two Greek words that just talk about the study of God. So um, it's our attempt to understand God. And we also know that, that we will never fully know God. Right. We will never fully know him. Romans chapter 11, verse 33 says, oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and inscrutable his ways. Like we will never fully understand him. But um, um, as we study God, we want to know what's it mean to worship God, right? right? What's it mean mm -hmm. to worship God? Someone said this, without theology, we waste our lives and lose our soul. Mm -hmm. And I would just reframe it this way. Without a proper understanding of God, mm -hmm. um, who he is, we're, we're, we're lost, right? Mm -hmm. So as followers of Jesus, and we've been talking about this, what it means to live from a biblical worldview, really one of the things that should consume us is this study and understanding of who, who God, is, God is. And when we do, we will be moved to worship. Right. Right? Mm -hmm. So a theology of worship. Right. Yeah. I, I, and when we talk about it, there's just a way to define worship. How do we even define it? And there's just some people we kind of lean on. One of them um, is John Piper, and he says that this is what worship is. It says that true worship is based on a right understanding of God's nature, and it is a right valuing of God's worth. Uh, another person, William Temple, said it in this way, and I, this, is, this is meaty, but I just want you to kind of sit in this. Worship is the submission of all of our nature to God. It is the quickening of the conscience by His holiness, the nourishment of our mind with His truth, the purifying of our imagination by His beauty, the opening of the heart to his love, the surrender to his, of will to his purpose. I think that is such a good way. I mean, yeah. it's like rich to think about like right. every part of us being given over. You see, worship is our response to a loving God for who he is and for what he has done. Worship is expressed individually. We do that in our everyday lives, um, ideally. But mm -hmm. then it also is something that we do when we come together corporately. 
But here's a question for us as we kind of step into our, our morning is, is, is what does worship look like? I mean, what does it look like on a day-to-day basis? And the answer really is worship is, is a lifestyle, not just some kind of event. Yeah, so since it's a lifestyle, it's, it's really um, uh, appropriate for us to consider this question. Did you worship this morning? So, I mean, some of us would say, well, of course, like, we just sang two songs, right? Mm-hmm. We just worship God. So that, that might be our response, and you wouldn't be wrong. We're going to talk more about that next week. What does corporate worship look like? But really, um, since worship is a lifestyle, you're absolutely correct, because you're the goatist, you know, so um, you're the goat. <laughs> so um, um, the question is, did you worship this morning? So mm-hmm. when, you, when you got out of bed, when you drove down, because you live up on the hill there, so when you drove right. down mm-hmm. this morning and you have a view of the mountains, I think. Well, there wasn't much of a view this morning. Okay. But. Did that elicit worship? Absolutely. And so yeah. when I woke up this morning and you woke up this morning and, you know, we took that first breath of, of air in, mm-hmm. that we were consciously aware of anyway, mm-hmm. did, did you worship God this morning? Mm-hmm. What's that look like? So we're going to talk about what does, what does worship look like as a lifestyle? So every moment we're, we're worshiping God. So number one is this. So just got some things for you. Number one, worship involves my, my entire being. So worship involves my, my mind, my emotions, my strength, my means, my devotion, and, and my heart. So it, it's, it, it is a lifestyle that involves every part of our being. Well, how, how does that happen? So how does it involve my mind, heart, emotions, my, my, my will? Um, we're going to talk about that, but Jesus has a warning for us. He has a warning for us, and it's this, like, don't let your worship just be limited, because that's wrong. In fact, in Matthew chapter 15, he says this, this people honors me with their lips, but that's where it stops. But their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching his doctrine, the commandments of man. So there, there's worship that's very, very limited. There's this, this appearance of, of worship. So uh, verse 19 in the NLT reads this way, their worship is a farce. Like one of those words, right? Yeah, it's, I like it, that it, word. Yeah, it, it's, it's you know, supposed to be serious. It just looks ridiculous. Their worship looks ridiculous, but it's limited. Like they worship me with their lips, but everything else is like off the rails. It's, it's out there. So in short, Jesus is calling out this hypocrisy, right? And here's what's taking place, the fifth commandment. So fifth commandment, which is probably the commandment that most parents have memorized and recite to their kids, <laughs> all right? Here it is, honor your father and mother as the Lord your God commanded you that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that, you, that the Lord your God is giving you. And let's be honest, parents, we have said that to our kids, like, you want to live a long life? <laughs> I will take you out right now, right? So you obey. So yeah, and so that's that's what's being talked about here, right? Yeah, and so you see, the, the Jews considered the honoring of parents. It was huge. It was important. It was. It was. I mean, here it was in the law, and so it yeah. was huge for them to to live this out. And if not, you were cursed as a, as a person. You could be put to death for not honoring. In fact, in, in Exodus twenty one seventeen, it says, "Whoever curses his father or his mother shall be put to death." That's just how serious this is. But see, here's the deal, is that, is that they had a way around this. And this is kind of takes us back and maybe pulls in a little bit deeper. They had a way around this. They had a saying which, which, which says this, what you would have gained from me is given to God. In other words, I would have given this to you. I would have helped you in a certain way, but sorry, 
I can't really give it to you because it's dedicated to God. So I've got the stuff, but I can't really have you have it. You see, this was a really clever way of hanging on to the things that, kept, that was keeping them from passing them on to their parents or helping out somebody in their community. That way it would be taken out of circulation. Their parents couldn't even get to it. It was just lip service, the very thing that Jesus was talking yeah. about. This idea of like, yes, I have this way around the law, but since I'm honoring God in this, well, I guess I can't help you. You know, I wonder how often we find ways to hold back part of our lives from our Heavenly Father in the same way. We find these little nuances, like a little loophole maybe, that we just kind of go through the motions. If we want a good picture of what a devoted life looks like, something called the Shema really speaks to it. In Deuteronomy 6.4, it says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord, hear this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. That's what worship of a lifestyle can really look like. Yeah, so I think the point that you're making there, and I think, I think it's a good one, is that, that there are sometimes are things that we hold back, right? Mm-hmm. We kind of, it's, it's not our entire being. Right. So how do you worship the Lord with your mind? Right. We find ways of doing that and take time yeah. to just meditate. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So instead of holding everything back, we say, God, here's my entire being, right? It, here I am to worship you. Right. All, all of me. Mm-hmm. The second the second part of worshiping God with all of our being is a word that maybe we, we might not even like, or like a sacrifice. Like, because who likes to sacrifice? Yeah, totally. So sacrifice. But listen to this. A sacrifice that costs nothing is not a sacrifice. A sacrifice that costs nothing is not a sacrifice. Let me share with you a little story. Oh, 2 Samuel 24. It's about David. Um, Jason mentioned David just a little bit ago. David commits a sinful, sinful act that he confesses. So I've often talked to you about um, confession and conviction, mm-hmm. right? That when we sense the Spirit convicting us, we, we don't push that away, but we embrace it. And, and uh, we, we tend to sometimes push it away because conviction kind of doesn't feel too good, Not does it? All, no. So it's like the Spirit is tweaking you in some way. Well, this is what's happening with David. David did something, and, and the Spirit, like, convicted him. And instead of pushing it away, he embraces it, but it cost him something. It cost him something. So he commits his sinful act by, by counting. In verse 10 of, of 2 Samuel 24, it says this, But after he had taken a census... David's conscience began to bother him. So the spirit began to kind of work, work on him a little bit. And so he said to the Lord, so he confesses his sin. He says, I have sinned greatly by taking this census. Please forgive my guilt, Lord, for doing this foolish thing. Now, um, here's, here's what we know. Like, does God forgive when we confess? Yes. Yes. Are there sometimes... I use the word consequences. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that, that's, that's David. So I, I'm, I'm just thinking that David's going, okay, God, um, I, I, forgive me. Let's just call this thing good, <laughs> right? But that's not what happened. Now, David sins by numbering the people. He recognizes that he acted foolishly. He confesses his sin to the Lord, and a prophet is sent um, uh, to him um, by the Lord, and gives David three options. Now, this is, this is kind of interesting because put yourself in this story now. We're talking about sacrifice. We're talking about the sacrifice costs something, right? And this is going to cost David now. 
because of his sin, and he confesses, the Lord, Lord forgives him. But the prophet says, I'm going to give you three options. Option number one, three years of famine. Option number two, you can run for three years from your enemies, right, and they'll, they'll pursue you. And option number three, that was option number two. Option number three, three days of, of plague in your land. And that's the word that comes to David. And, and then now I'm thinking, like, if I'm David, I'm like, I'm negotiating with God just a little bit like, how about a fourth one? Right. Or maybe, maybe <laughs> right. like we could redo that list, you know, just, just a little bit. But that's, that's not what, that's what not happened, right? Absolutely. Nope. So, not an option. Yeah. So. So, so you're stuck in a spot of like, I've got to choose from one of these three. Yeah. And so he decides out of the three, he chooses the third one, option number three. Mm-hmm which meant pestilence and plague was going to come on the land. And, and it indeed did. 70,000 people died as a result of that making, him making that choice. David is then commanded at the end of all of this to, to uh, build an altar on the threshing floor at a guy named Aruna's house and, and on his land. And so David goes. He obeys. He goes to the spot to do it. And when David arrives at Aruna's place and they're having this conversation about, like, what are you doing here? Um, David said, well, I've got to build um, this altar to the Lord here. And Aruna says, great. Let me give you all the wood. Let me give you everything to build this thing out so you can go ahead and do what you need to do, David. We want to make sure everything is well. But here's the deal. David responds with something that kind of echoes throughout Scripture. And it's so pivotal for us to hear what he, how he responds. Aruna offers him all of this stuff to be able to build the altar, but David's response, he says this, no, I insist, Aruna, on buying it all, for I will not present burnt offerings to the Lord my God that have, not cost, that have cost me nothing. David recognized that when he was going to bring an offering, a sacrifice, it required something of him. And so David paid him for the field before he made his offering. He paid exactly what was needed, and then the offering took place. Yeah, because a sacrifice that costs me nothing is not a sacrifice. So if I, I take a look at my, my life, you know, what does my worship look like? If sacrifice costs us something, so what does my worship look like? Let, let's just dive a little bit deeper into this, into this topic. So sacrifice costs us something, but I want to suggest this. The sacrifice also includes our best. And let's just drop into the, the story of Cain and Abel. We, we talked a little bit about, I think, in the Genesis story. Remember, it's in Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through, uh, 1 through 8, Cain and Abel. So Adam and Eve, they have two sons, mm-hmm. you know, Cain, Cain and Abel. Um, and during this time of sacrifice, two sacrifices were given. Now, Abel was a shepherd, and, and Cain, Cain was a, a farmer. He farmed the land. And here's how it reads in verses 3 and 4 of Genesis chapter 4. When it was time for the harvest... Cain presented presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. Two different now sacrifices, but catch catch the words there. Cain presented some of his crops. Abel presented the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flocks. Two sacrifices. But it doesn't take much to think about. There's a difference here, isn't there? Let me illustrate it this way. So I was um, um, in Springfield with a friend on some church business, actually. And uh, we were gone for a number of days. And we decided that it's always good when you're away as a husband to bring your wife home a gift. It's a good way to go. 
Yes, <laughs> yes, that's a good idea, mm-hmm. right? So we're, we go shopping for gifts for our wives. And so I'm, I'm the dude, actually, um, that, so when I, I buy a card, I don't know that, um, I'm sure you probably do the same thing because, you know, you're the, you're the goat. Go. Go to, but, yes. And, um, mm. b- but when I, I buy a card for my wife, I actually read the card. <laughs> that's next level. No, actually. totally. That's next level. Yeah. I read the mm-hmm. whole words because it's meaningful, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm shopping for my wife, and I find her something um, to bring home that I actually pay for. <laughs> and so I say that because my friend walks by a basket of pot, pot, potpourri, potpourri, potpourri mm-hmm. and he says, ah, this would do, and he reaches in and grabs a bag, a potpourri. Mm-hmm. The problem is, on the basket, it said free. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember, I still remember visually him <laughs> reaching and going, yeah, this will do. And he pulls it out, it's a free bag of potpourri, <laughs> which tells me, like, the stuff does no, doesn't smell anymore. It's no good. But it was just a free thing, right? Mm-hmm. And so visualize now Cain kind of expand the story just a little bit like, yeah, this will do. Right. Yeah, this, this is good enough right here. Abel presenting the best of his firstborn lambs, Cain going like, ah, this will do. I present some of my stuff. So what's the result? The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but not, not Cain and his gift. There's a popular belief, and I, I don't think it's um, the one that I would um, actually um, leaned into, that, that Cain didn't offer a, a blood sacrifice, but I think it's missing the point there. It leads us away from the truth regarding sacrificial worship. Um, in a little book called Resolving Anger, it says this, Abel went out of his way to please God, whereas Cain was simply discharging a duty. Do you get the difference? So Cain really said, like, this is the one I want. This is, I'm going to honor the Lord. And Cain just it just was a duty to, to him, um, which is indicative of his heart, right? Not devoted to worship. Uh, I'll just grab this. It'll be a good, not, good, good enough. And just remember what we've been talking about. Sacrifice that costs nothing is not a sacrifice. The spiritual act of worship in all of our, our life costs us something. Worship costs us something. Worship of the, of the living God who sent his son for you and for me costs us something because it costs him everything. And that should drive us to a life of worship. Mm-hmm. And I think Romans really speaks to that very thing yeah. that you just said. I think it's such a good line. And it's this, he says, he says, and so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, hear Paul's heart, I plead with you to give your bodies to God. And here's why, because of all he has done for you. And so we recognize all that he's done for us, so we give back. It says, let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Because of what he's done, all he's given, our response is, yes, Lord, I give back to you. You see, bodies, as he's talking about, giving your bodies to God represents the totality of one's life and all of our activities, saying it's all yours, God. And so this, this idea that, that really everything we have is a sacrifice, it's a worship to God. So that's another place. The third spot that we want to talk about worship being a lifestyle, it also involves recognizing worship distractions. Because we have many distractions that can come our way, don't we? I mean, they just, they're, they're abundant. They're all around us. They're very much available. You see, if worship involves the totality of one's life, we have to understand that distractions are a part of our life. 
Distractions are anything that can turn our focus off from God. And I think that this is important for us to kind of sit with for a moment. Because we recognize that there are temptations that come into our lives, and we can fall prey to them. And some of them that are real obvious, the sins that we might look at and go, oh yeah, this, this is clearly something that's a distraction. There's wisdom issues that we come across that we go, this is clearly a distraction. Um, things like gluttony, greed, lust. We see those things and we're like, oh yeah, that's definitely a distraction. In the media we consume, we consume so often, can get our minds and our hearts stuck in a place where our eyes are just focused on what's taking place in front of us. And all of a sudden, we're no longer focused in on God. They distract us. But what we want to suggest this morning is to take this even further, is that there are good things that can also be a distraction for us. And this is where it gets really difficult, right? Because we have things that we enjoy, like our hobbies, maybe things like work, our family activities. There's so many things that are good, but can actually become a distraction. And so part of us as, as follow, fellow believers, we have to take everything that we have and put it under the scrutiny of the Spirit and say, God, is this thing actually moving me closer to you, or is it distracting me from the things that you're calling me to? I know that's a constant battle that our family has. Like, we're constantly in this battle. Like, we're doing the next thing. We're doing the next thing. And at some point, we have to pull back. And we do. I'm like, are are we just doing stuff just because? Or do we pull back and say, are we actually honoring the Lord in this? And so some things, as a result, end up having to get cut off the list so that we can make room for the things that are most important. You see, as a faith community, we have to be vigilant to war against the distractions. And so I've named some few things, but I guess I ask you, if, if you were to add one, what would you add to the list in your life that could be a distraction from worshiping God? That's something we have to sit Yeah, with. you know, there's really strong, strong teaching there. I think, I, what, what's it look like then if I, if I offer God my, my daily schedule? Say, God, okay, what is it here that, that you might speak to me to, t- to remove so I can Absolutely. Focus on worship, mm-hmm. right? On who you are. What is it? Yeah, and it is true that good things in life can distract us as mm-hmm. well, take us away from this life. So we want to talk about uh, living a life of worship. So I want you to come and let's talk about theology of worship without going like, here's some ideas, some things that we can do. So we're going to talk about that, living a life of worship. But I'm going to give you a principle, and here it is. Don't allow the more important to become less important and the less important to become more important. Think about that for just a second because it's really easy to happen, isn't it? Where the lesser important things, kind of what you just talked about, not necessarily the bad things, but they're lesser important to become more important or to take um, control of our schedules maybe of our day and don't don't allow the the less important and less important to become more important. Don't, Don't allow that to happen. So just think about that. Um, it's a principle that came out of my own personal experience. When the, when the Lord spoke to me about how my day was organized, exactly what you were talking about. Mm-hmm. And I had allowed the lesser important to become more important, and the more important become less. Now, I had given time always to the Lord for devotions, but I had allowed a hobby to kind of slide into my best time of the day. And that was the one I focused on. And the Lord spoke to me now just not very many years ago and said, you need to switch that around. And, and I have done that, and I have benefited from that. So how do we, how do we live uh, uh, worship as a, as a lifestyle? Here's some things for you. Personal worship as a lifestyle. Number one, start your day in worship. Start your day. Now that you go like, well, that's stupid, <laughs> right? Because that, that's kind of easy. Well, it's not really start your day in worship. So I think we have to be really, really intentional. So how many of you coffee addicts 
get up and the only thing on your mind is getting to that <laughs> cup of coffee, right? I'm that way, so okay. So is, is it possible that we start our day in worship again, give Lord thanks for this day, and actually could we thank God for what we're about to consume? Does that work? It seems like that would be a good way to start. I think so too. Mm-hmm. Starting our day that way. It might look different for you. Say, look, God, thanks for this day. Thank you, and I worship you today. That's what it looks like. Mm-hmm. It could be a minor adjustment is all. Like? Well, we need to do other things like set aside uh, time yeah. in the day. Uh, and as Tom talked about, like finding the best time of the day is an important piece. Yeah. And for some, it's some in the morning. Um, I know that throughout life, sometimes that changes. Like in maybe in a certain season of your life, just because of the way life is going, the evening might be a better time for you. But finding a time and dedicating a time becomes really important. But that we have a time is, what, is what's valuable. What we're trying to avoid is just kind of grabbing a moment here. Or if it just sort of happens to come up out of nowhere, then we'll go for it. But there's an intentionality that we need to put inside of our lives. And the third one is considers this, yeah. setting aside a place, a place to be able to have that time. Now, I've heard of some people that have like this elaborate room that they've put together and they have all these things. Um, uh, we don't have that kind of space in our house. And yeah. so we just go, I just like find a laundry room that somebody's not in in the moment. And that's the spot that we're going to meet Jesus with. So you just kind of make it, but make it a space, a sacred space. When you yeah, I got a place where I go and mm-hmm. I've just created a new place. Actually, I've not yet started to use because it's kind of cold in my garage. <laughs> so, but I'm, I'm getting there, nice. you know, just that place to kind of, kind of get away. So then two others, um, redeem time, redeem time. And so a lot of you commute to work. What if you took that time to maybe shut the radio off, Hmm. right? Or whatever. And what if that was your worship time? You just redeem time. Um, You're involved in a hobby. Redeem the time, right? You're driving somewhere. Redeem the time. It's it's a practice I I try to employ myself. So redeem time. And then second one is just something just remember. Word, Word before world. Word before world. Word before world. Uh, my day starts in the Psalms, almost every day. Um, word before world. Before you go to the news to see, you know, whatever you're going to be looking for, word before world. So good. Next week, we're going to be um, talking about corporate worship as, as, as a lifestyle. We're going to be gathering in, um, in, in worship um, extensively next week. We're going to be gathering in communion. We're going to gather together in prayer. We're going to gather together in corporate worship. Um, It's not just singing. It's everything that we do to honor him. Um, But when the church gathers to worship, it's a testimony to the community. That's why I'm I'm so grateful for you. You'll come. I encourage everyone to be a part of, of a gathering where we corporately worship together. It says something to our community. COVID did a lot to disrupt that. And across the country, actually, worship, worship attendance is down everywhere. I mean, we've been talking about that, right? right. COVID disrupted that whole rhythm of, of life. And I'm saying, we need to get, get back to that. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, and let us not neglect meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his re- return is drawing near. I'm encouraged when we worship together. And I believe more now than ever, we need to do this very, very thing. So worship as a lifestyle. Can we stand together? 
And I uh, just want to invite us into maybe just, just applying maybe the lesson today. And it just goes like this, okay, God, speak to me. Do I need to reorganize my life? Where can I redeem time? Um, have I allowed my focus to be on something that is taking me away from worshiping you? And, and it might be one of those really, really good things in life, but I've, I've given too much time to that and less time. Maybe I've, I've allowed the less important to become more important, and maybe the more important um, has slipped down. Right. Right. So let's just join together in prayer, shall we? And just let this, let's let the Spirit speak to you and say, Father, I just give you my life today. Um, God, I want to honor you in all of my life. I don't want to just give you lip service. I want to honor you with my heart, my mind, my soul, my strength, every part of who I am. And so um, let's give the Lord our day, shall we? So God, here's, our, here's my day. Here's my schedule. Now, would you just speak to me? God, as I respond to you, I would pray that my day would be different because my day is committed to worshiping you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Great. 